Welcome to the Sports and Torts Podcast, your go-to podcast for entertaining conversations on sports, law, and business. This podcast is powered by the J. Stein Law Firm, a personal injury law firm in Atlanta, Georgia. And now, here is your host, Joshua Stein. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the latest episode of Sports and Torts. Thank you, as always, for listening. It is so, so very much appreciated. You know, we talk about a whole bunch of different things and topics on this podcast, but it seems like no matter where we start a conversation, one constant thread when we're talking about business or the law is marketing and business development. Many of us struggle with marketing. Many of us are overwhelmed with marketing. Many of us don't want to spend time doing it. Um, For you lawyers out there, these are things that we just frankly didn't really learn in law school. We know we should be doing it, but don't really know where to start. We need help. When our podcast today is just that guy, Jeff Frost is with us. He has been working in marketing departments and doing client development for some of the most successful law firms in Georgia for nearly two, two decades or so. He now has his own professional services consulting company uh, where he's doing that for folks, um, and he's promising to unlock all of the secrets that is needed in client development in this next 60 minutes with us today. Isn't that right, Jeff? That's right. <laughs> looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Hey, welcome, man. It's good to see you. How you been doing? I'm good. I'm good. I was trying to remember where we first met, and I think it was at the gymnastics studio in East Cobb when our daughters were there. That's exactly where we met. I was thinking about that, too. And that brought home to me the power of connections can be made anywhere. It can be made at your kids' sporting events. It can be made at the golf course, which we've done that. It can be made in an actual you know, business function. But, I mean, in your line of work, I mean, don't you see that, that people are making connections everywhere? Yeah, that's what we should all be doing is always looking to find out who we're meeting and see how we can help them and how they can help us. And it should all be very positive and and. and in our networks. And I guess it also underscores how important it is to treat people right. I mean, yeah, we were strangers and we could have been jerks to each other and that would have been, I mean, we wouldn't have done that, but you know what I mean? And, and, and since we've done lots of work together, you invited me at conferences in San Diego, we're doing this. So you just never know where things go. But the golf thing, we were, la- we were laughing, 80 degrees, this is primetime golf, man. We should be doing this on the golf course. Yes. You know, I've, uh, I've had years where I've played over a hundred rounds of golf and people think it is all partying and fun and games, but a lot can get done. And one, one of the things I've always used golf for is connecting people like we talked about. And so one of my favorite things to do in, in the business development space is take three people who I know that don't know each other and take them all to play golf for the day. And so I'll get a general counsel, I'll get a litigator from a law firm, and I'll get a forensic accountant who've never met before, and I'll invite them out and those meetings may or may not result in business for me or for my firm at that time, but those folks always remember those engagements. Three minutes in and you're nailing it in terms of, I mean, that, that's what people need to hear though. Like it, it, I always laugh when I'm like, yeah, I'm playing golf tomorrow. And someone will say, oh, must be nice. Or do you ever have time to work or something like that? And um, those people don't get it, man. I mean, the, the, the power of golf when you do what you just said is, is be done. It's huge. You have five hours with, with people you're outside. It's nice. People are enjoying it. It's a good environment. You get to know each other. You've, you introduced three people that wouldn't have otherwise had that time, so they appreciate that. So people that don't view it that way, I think, are missing missing out. Yeah, and I will say, it, it, you can do it without golf, too. Like, you can set up a lunch like that. You can set up a bourbon tasting. You know, there's other ways to do it. We certainly love being able to hit that little white ball around while we're doing it. Yeah. But yep, uh, yeah, right. no, I love it. Good stuff. Well, we kind of jumped into it. Uh, but for those those out there that don't know you, um, introduce yourself, kind of your background and, and kind of walk us through how we're here today. 
Yeah, so thanks for having me, Josh. You know, I'm very excited to be on the this, this show. And uh, yeah, so my name is Jeff Frost. I uh, was born in Pensacola, Florida, but moved to Southern California when I was about a year old and uh, grew up in a place called Lancaster, California. And my father worked in the aerospace field. I got to see the first flight of the stealth bomber cool. when I was a kid. Um, and so when I left Lancaster, I decided I'd need someone to help me grow up. And so I joined the United States Air Force and I got sent right back to the panhandle of Florida <laughs> where it all started. And I spent four years at Eglin Air Force Base as a graphic designer, believe it. So yeah, well, when you told me before, like answer that question for me, how does that work? How's that end up happening? Well, so I joined the Air Force in what they call open general, which means I could have been anything from a police officer to a trash person to a meteorologist. It's sort of the catch-all and they don't guarantee jobs. Well, I had taken some graphic design courses in high school. I, They asked if we had any skills they should know about. I wrote some keywords had no idea that that would lead to me being a graphic designer in the hot in the in the Air Force. And then, you know, I'm going to answer my own question by fast forwarding to you in Atlanta because I know your first law job was at a firm here in Atlanta where you were hired as a graphic designer. Is that right? That's right. So I left the Air Force. I moved temporarily to Denver. Started working at a Kinkos in their um, document creation center. Uh, transferred to Atlanta. I'd spent a lot of time in Atlanta. Um, when I was in the military driving up here for concerts and uh, transferred through Kinko's, parlayed that into a job in the Atlanta Financial Center. And in 2001, uh, Morris Manning, who was one of the clients of the copy center I was working at, um, they asked me to come upstairs, said they needed a graphic designer and hired me that afternoon. So what does that look like? <laughs> I mean, what does that look like? 21 years old or in your early 20s, Morris Manning is a big law firm. It's established been around forever. Like, what, what do they say? Hey, Jeff, this is what we kind of need from you. This is what we need you to do. So for perspective, legal marketing professionals almost didn't exist back then. That was a new function. Firms, especially corporate law firms, were just figuring this out in terms of not even knowing what we need. And so I was actually hired into the... Uh, it, not even a marketing role. It was I was just a graphic designer to help them with some projects. I reported to the librarian, and so I really got to grow in with the profession and the position um, at Morris Manning. And I I started I I went to, part of the reason I went in the Air Force was to get the GI Bill. So I started going to Georgia State to get my business degree literally a month after starting at Morris Manning. So I was able to really apply what I was learning in school to the legal world and sort of go, well, this Yeah, I mean, weird. Lo lo lawyers, for, lo for the longest time, and still so, lawyers fancy themselves like, our industry doesn't market. We don't have to market that kind of stuff. And in 2001, like, that was still a lot of, of, of the prevailing opinion. Um, so, I mean... When you're, when you're learning all these courses in business, you see this this organization, this firm, this business that could be doing things in the development space, like how do you raise your hand? Like, hey guys, this is some things that we should be considering to do. Yeah, especially as a, I was 23 when I started there. And I see, you know, all these folks went to Harvard and Yale and Virginia, and they, they obviously did very well um, based on the office space we were in. And so I was very hesitant at first to call out some of the things that I, I, I didn't think they were, 
mistakes because uh, they were intentional or that people were not smart. I think they just didn't know. And so I, what I saw was a lot of unnecessary spend on marketing. Um, you know, printing out an entire slide deck for 300 people attending a conference. We don't need to do that, right? Sending five lawyers to an event in New York City with a booth, not knowing if there's any actual clients there. And so I, I, I sort of held my tongue for a while and then um, started to feel more confident as I was learning more. Um, and, uh, you know, at, at some point after being there for a few years, they did create a marketing department and they allowed me and um, they hired another woman who's still a dear friend of mine to sort of co-run the department and, and build it from scratch. So I really got to wear every hat there is. There's always in, the, in these big firms lawyers that kind of resist, you know, and that, that say, I don't need to be doing that or don't want to be doing that. And there's other lawyers like, they're gung-ho. I was always a guy that enjoyed it. I still do. Um, how do you, what is your messaging as you're creating this department to be like, look guys, whether in girls, whether you want to do it or not do it, like this is important. These are some strategies. We can be much more intentional about what we're doing. Like, how do you get that point across? So I will say I probably didn't get to that point until my next job where I, I felt confident enough to really push them. But I will say what we did is, and I remember one of the, the partners who was very uh, uh, serious about things um, said to me, this is the first time I haven't thought marketing was a waste of money. Like I see the value in what you guys are doing for us. And so we were able to start to justify additional staff members and specific roles, you know, trade groups we needed to get in front of, um, rebranding the firm, upgrading the quality of our materials, making sure we were differentiating. Um, in terms of bringing along the people that didn't want to be brought along, um, I'm not sure we did that in my first role, but I can talk about that in my second. So you went to Bondurant, which is as good of a firm as you can find. Um, you were there for 15 years. Director of Legal Marketing. The director of Client Development. Cli excuse me, you said, I read, Director of Client Development. Um, so what what is like... What, what is the thought process in taking this firm that's been around forever, that is well-known, um, to getting in front of the right clients to, to help, help them grow their business that much more? Like, What, what kind of things did you employ to yeah, do? Yeah, so I think it's important to sort of start from the beginning with Bondurant, even back to when I was interviewing. I was ready to leave the legal profession. Um, I love sports. I was thinking about going into sports marketing. Um, and I wasn't sure I wanted to, to work in the legal field for the rest of my career. You know, it was kind of, I, I felt like I was at a point where I had to make that decision. I was 29 and I started interviewing at a lot of places. And when I interviewed at Bondurant, I felt like this is different. There's something different about this firm that I can work with, like really work with. Um, and they had never had anybody in that role. I was the first person that ever did that role at the firm. And I really viewed it as an opportunity to, to carve out the role in a way that I thought would be the most effective. Um, and I remember, I, I love telling the story that um, the firm administrator at Morris Manning uh, used to be the firm administrator at Bondurant probably 20 years previously. And she was asked to, to offer me to stay, you know, some more money to stay. Mm -hmm. And she took me aside and she said, I'm not even gonna make you the offer 
you should go work at that firm because it's going to change your life. And the people you're going to meet and the relationships you're going to make, you know, she said, it's just an amazing law firm. And I was like, thank you. And I, I still to this day think that was one of the, the greatest acts of kindness right. like the, you know, that she didn't have to do. Um, and so, so when I started Bondurant, though, um, I had a lot of housekeeping work to do. Um, and I also, I, I, I went in with the agreement that there were no secrets. You know, I wanted to know where our clients are coming from, you know, uh, uh, where we're spending our time, where we're spending our money, so that I could really drill down into what. So, so the, 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 the housekeeping would be the deep dive in terms of, okay, who are our clients, who are our target clients, where are we spending our resources, time, money, trying to find new clients, and who do we want, what kind of work do we want to do? Yeah, and even also just a consistent logo, the website, does it match what we are trying to say? Um, what's our messaging? What's our So you, you mentioned branding. Um, I guess that's part two. Like, we want to brand our firm as X. These are the kind of clients we want to attract, kind of cases we can handle, the kind of results we can get. Yes. You want those things to ma- marry together, you know, the, the messaging and who you want to get that message to. And so, you know, one of the things I did at, at, in terms of, you know, before I get, and we're going to get to the business development stuff, because I, I wore all the hats at Bondurant. I did all the marketing communications, the website development and updating and the bios and the ordering of, of uh, Yeti mugs to transition to be a, a serious business developer. And I, like I said, I know we'll get to that. But the, the website, which is still up today, probably could be be updated, but it's been a, a super effective website. And what what we did is we looked at what our strengths were as, as the, at that firm and the message, the, the, the impression we wanted people to get. And, you know, the firm is involved in the most complex litigation matters in the state. They have been for 40 years. They're small. They're 30 lawyers around, you know, give or take. Um, they staff cases leanly. They're not afraid to take cases on contingency. Um, and so we built a website that, uh, tried to get those messages across and I will say, um, and people can go look at it, www.bmelaw. If you click on the inverted pyramid, uh, there's like a secret message there too, which I was- So did you design that, that pyramid? I did. Okay. Well, we, I designed the, the shell of the website. Got it. When, 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 a, when, a, when, a, when someone comes to your website, whoever they are, um, like what is the goal in terms of where their eyes are gonna go? What are they gonna click through? Because that's something that we discuss a lot. It's like you have this website, it's, is it too busy? Is it too simple? What is some advice on how to properly form one? So, so for Bondurant, it's not a volume play, okay? Uh, they want a few great cases, like big cases. You know, that's, you know they don't need uh, a thousand calls. And I studied our Google Analytics, and I saw that almost everyone who was coming to our website already knew who we were. They were not coming to find out who is this firm? They're not Googling Atlanta litigation firm, antitrust lawyer. They're Googling Frank Lowry or John Floyd. Someone like, said, this is a firm, check them out. It's a warm referral. Yeah. So what we want to do is create the impressions with whoever is viewing the site that this firm's legit and I should consider them. So I use the example that if a general counsel at a company in Seattle, Washington calls his friend and she's the general counsel at a firm in Georgia and says, I have this massive contract dispute. Um, I need the best lawyers in the state. Uh, they're probably going to give them 
couple firms, okay? Let's just say they, they give him King and Spalding, Alston and Bird, and Bondurant. Mm-hmm. If we don't have the website that helps us look the part that we are that firm that can handle your most sensitive matters, we don't even get the call. Right. Okay. And we found out that that had actually been happening in some situations where, you know, the, the way our, the materials were, or the website was, wasn't befitting of, okay, this is a serious firm. I think that's such a good point. So I look at my website a lot as like a, um, an online business card almost. I'm not found randomly very often on Google. Right. If people type Atlanta personal jeweler, like I ain't showing up in the first few. And I know that. And I don't try to play that game because I can't compete. But what does happen, similar to your example, is someone will get in a car record or follow whatever, and my name will be given, and they're going to go check me out. And they're going to go verify this dude can handle the case. And so I have my client reviews and testimonials and other prior results just to show that I know what I'm doing. And that's what I see my function of the website. And an extension of that, my social media pages. I mean, they can go check my Instagram and LinkedIn, and it's all got to kind of sync up, right? Yes. And uh, I, I remember two comments that really made me feel good about the website that we built. Um, one was a lawyer at Microsoft who called one of the partners and said, hey, I've, you know, I've been looking at your website. I'm scared of you. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay desired yeah. effect. Desired like, effect. I yeah. don't want to litigate against you. So I'm going to hire you. And and you asked the question about like sort of the, the the layout, clean, simple. I figure we have a couple seconds to get people to go. Okay, th- these people. Th- this is a serious firm. And so again, if you go look at the website, it's very clean, easy to navigate. I thought that was best for that firm and what we were trying to do. The other comment um, one of the partners got was the former general counsel of Walmart uh, told him that in 25 years of hiring law firms, he's probably looked at 2,000 websites, and ours was his favorite. He thought ours was the best. Now, that's, this was seven, eight years ago, right. so, uh, but it was still a high no, compliment. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. So when you, when you, um, you mentioned Walmart, you mentioned Microsoft, these are, these are big companies. I mean, what part of your job is getting in front of those general counsel, making those connections. You can't just walk up to Microsoft headquarters like, hey, I'm Jeff. So like, how do you, or how people listening that, that want to, you know, try to leverage relationships to meet people who they want to work with, like, how do you do it? Yeah, so so that was my remit at Bondurant was uh, to increase our exposure and opportunities and work with corporations. And uh, I didn't know how to do that exactly uh, when I first started. And um, I mean, you said it earlier, one is just be nice to people. Like that is just an overriding thing. Just always be polite and don't take, don't be transactional at all. Just care about everybody you're talking to. Great word, great word. But what I did is uh, I got to know a guy named Steve Kaplan, who's still to this day a dear, dear friend of mine. Steve is on the board of the Association of Corporate Counsel. And and Steve needed help with sponsorships. He wasn't able to get in front of the law firms. So I helped Steve get in front of the law firms he needed to get in front of. And we became friends and he started inviting me to his personal holiday party or dinners. And so instead of being the person who was there, like trying to get business from folks, I was just a friend who was in the room. I call that organically letting something grow. Yeah. 
right? It's not being salesy. It's not sending cold emails or cold calls. Like, does that stuff ever really work? Not um, in the legal space. No, either. no. So it's fostering a relationship. You meet somebody, you do them a favor without asking for anything in return. And then the relationship goes. And when there's an opportunity for him to introduce you to somebody, he does or she does. And that's the way to do it, right? Yeah. And what I, what I learned was, okay, here, what is valuable to people? You know, some people, they wanted to go play tennis. Some people wanted to go for a run. Some people like to, to play golf. Um, some people like to go speak, okay, and do public speaking engagements. And so that was something uh, I focused on heavily was getting public speaking engagements for myself where I could invite people that I wanted to get to know. And so this leads into the sort of the, the, the how I structured our approach at Bondurant um, in terms of, of targeting. So I made, when I, well, I should back up to uh, trying to get the lawyers to do what I would say is traditional business development, write a business plan, follow through with it, no have accountability. No thanks. No, they, they don't have time for that. Right? Not interested. And so it was actually my wife who's, who's in the business. Um, she said, you know, these are, these are litigators working some of the most complicated cases in the country that last for years. There's hundreds of millions of dollars. There's people's jobs at stakes. They have enough pressure. You don't need to put more pressure on them to go sell. And to what you said earlier in the intro, that's not what they went to law school for, was to go sell. And uh, you know, she said, you know, they have to practice law, they've got to run a business, they've got to have a life, and now you're asking them to go do this whole other thing. And it hit me like a ton of bricks, yeah, that's not even fair. And I actually think the whole industry should could, could learn from, you know, that's not fair. Okay, it's not fair to lawyers who, who are doing all these other things to say, okay, now sell full time. So what I did is like, okay, what can I take off their plate? How can I, how can I do some of the things that I would like them to do where they're not there? Um, and so the first thing I did was I, I learned law. I talked to my lawyers, took them to lunch, asked them about their cases, asked them why certain things happened and learned the business of law and, and actual legal like terms and you know where I can have a conversation with any general counsel or chief litigation officer and they don't think I'm some rube who's just stumbled in. And so so gaining that knowledge um, allowed me to then uh, make three lists. I made a list of all the companies that the firm was adverse to, okay? Can't can't represent them. They're, they're not so, potential client. Like, I, and again, I've run into plenty of folks at companies that Bondurant was adverse. I'm perfectly nice to them. You never know where they end up. But I'm not going to spend a ton of time, certainly, trying to, to, to move the needle forward to get work from them. Then I made a list of the companies that we already had a relationship with. And I said, OK, how can we grow these relationships? And we set about strategies and, you know, they know we do these breach of contract cases. Do they know we do antitrust cases? Do they know we do RICO cases? And figuring out ways to educate them about other things we can do. And also, um, I, I became a big proponent and national speaker on alternative fee arrangements, which was also something where we were able to grow our business through offering non-hourly fee arrangements. And then I made a list of the companies that 
had a big presence in Georgia, had litigation. They were hiring similarly priced firms, you know, people who charge the same sort of hourly rates, um, but we had no relationship. And so those were the folks that I would invite to come speak on these panels with me, like the one that you went to. Mm-hmm. And thank you for the invite yeah, to San Diego. Yeah, I had right, a great time. Rough time. Um, no, I loved I loved being able to do that because it's just great for all of us to to grow our our networks that way. So I love the idea of lists. I'm a list guy. Um, my mom, who'll be listening to this, she always, you know, had, had us write lists, good or bad, yes or no, to make decisions. So lists can be for any 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 different reason, but. Um, what about the guys like me and people that have similar firms don't have the resources like Bondrat to hire you or hire a, or hire a whole firm? And we realize that that's falling on us. Like, what kind of lists, if we wanted to make the analogy, or what kind of thought process should we go through to do what you just did? Like, these are cases or these are clients that we're not going to work with or prospect clients. Here are ones that we're already doing work. How can we expand? Or here's some that we can try to go and find. Yeah, so I mean, I think the the most important thing there, first of all, is to track that. You know, it's like where is our work coming from? Um, I kept a database that um, listed out all the referral types, and what I learned was that in in that firm, ninety percent of the cases were coming from five types. They were coming from current counsel or current clients, former clients, co counsel opposing counsel and former firm attorneys. And I looked at those five categories and I said, wow, that's that's almost all of our work from those five types. What do they have in common? They've all worked with the lawyers in the firm. They all had firsthand knowledge. None of them are saying, oh, I heard they were good. I did a Google search. They were, okay, I've, I've seen these folks up close. And it, that was one of the things where I went to the to the lawyers at the firm and I said, when you're working on your cases, that's your future sources of business. So as, as best you can, I know it's stressful and it can get contentious, be nice. Go have a beer with them after the case is over, you know? And, and, and the firm got a lot of business from, from companies and from opposing counsel who were just like, wow, these folks are really, really good. Um, but to answer your question in terms of like, in a smaller one, it's, it's to create that list of, okay, here are all the potential sources of business. Which ones are the most likely to result in more work. So Josh Stein going after the general counsel of General Electric, probably not a good use of your time. It's probably gonna take a long time. Josh Stein getting to know uh, uh, you know, a personal injury firm that only handles like $15 million cases and up, and they refer out cases for a million dollars, that's probably a great, you know, and so to sort of map out the the, the, the path of least resistance. That's good stuff, man. And, I, I, you know, I'm going to make this about me. <laughs> I'm gonna get, you're getting a free counseling session. <laughs> uh, what I was going to say was, you you mentioned those five um, five sources of where the case would come from. That's what my firm is, too. Yeah. It's probably what, what, most firms. It's probably most firms. But we don't think about it unless you really say, okay, those five, as you're saying it, I'm like nodding my head. I'm like, yep, yep. Yep, yep. And the common thread to all that is people don't find me randomly. They don't. I mean, I can count on one hand somebody that just completely randomly stumbled upon me. It's someone that I worked with or represented or had a case against or used to work at the same firm with said, this is the guy that's going to help you with your issue. Well, you have to remember being involved, and we all get sort of desensitized to it, but being involved in litigation especially is very stressful and it's almost like a life-changing event for a lot of people and they're going to want 
to feel comfort and they want to feel like like they're going to be taken care of. I, I remember when I first started at, at Bondurant, um, I had been working on like the new color scheme for the, 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 the new look of the site. And I was like, oh, we're going to war. We're going to fight with people and we're tough. So I was using reds and blacks and sort of this imagery of, you know, sort of aggressive imagery. And I went and had uh, lunch with a friend of mine and I was talking to her about it and she's like, can I just stop you? And she said, I've been in litigation and it is stressful enough. The last thing I want is more stress. I want comfort, you know? I want like the the, the father figure who's just gonna come in and say, it's it's gonna, it's gonna be, be all okay. right. Yeah. And so yeah, so people, they, it, it is it is very uncommon in my opinion to, you know, just randomly have someone come out of the blue and hire you, you know? Yeah, and I think even with the words we use, like, so one of my taglines is, is we're your neighbor in the pursuit of justice. And that's, that's intentional, saying that, you know, my clients or people who are in my community, that, you know, it's going to be a warm feeling. You, you mentioned colors, which I had not thought of that before. Um, but you can portray that image and the right, the right fit will come, right? I mean, some clients might not want me because that's not what they want. And vice versa, I wouldn't want them necessarily as my client particularly. So you want to have a good fit. Um, all that's great, man. That's good stuff. So let's transition into what you're doing now because clearly you, you, you know what you're doing. You're, you're very successful at what you've done. So you transition something new. Let's hear about it. Yeah, so um, I've started my own consulting practice, uh, Justified Client Development, and I chose that name because I feel like in this space, all the decision-making needs to be justified. A general counsel needs to be able to go to the board and tell them why they chose this firm instead of that firm. Or the, 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 the head of litigation needs to be able to say, I chose this e-discovery vendor over this one. You know, every decision in, across the chain needs to be justified. So that's why I came up with the name. Um, what I really am, am excited to do is to work with a, a, an eclectic array of players in the legal space. Um, I think that, you know, I mean, obviously I've devoted my career to this space and I'm very passionate about it. And I've, as a non-lawyer, which is like that, that awful term that, that a lot of people hate, um, I feel like I've been able to cross the divide where I have so many lawyer friends and I don't, I don't feel like I'm not a lawyer or they treat me like I'm, I'm lesser because I don't have a law degree um, because I, 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 I know what I'm talking about. And, but, and so like over the course of my career, I've really tried to, to instill that in ways where I like was on a board of a nonprofit. I was the chair of a legal nonprofit and I, I did that obviously to give back, but also to show that my skill set can be valuable to other parts of the legal field, and and I think that the the, the industry is ripe for disruption, and it is uh, uh, you know I think it's exciting the changes that could come. So I want to be part of that, and I want to work with a variety of clients in different areas of the legal space to do that. So in, so insert random firm. Uh, small, big, medium, personal injury, transactional, criminal, divorce, whatever. I don't care. Um, they call you. You sit down in a room like this, and what's the discussion like? I mean, what are you trying to figure out, and what questions do you get, and, and what direction do you steer these? I know it's different for everyone, but just give an example. Yeah, so it, it would be very much a lot of the stuff we've been talking about, which is where does your business come from? Um, what, you know, 
why would someone call you? Why would they hire you? Um, what can you offer in value in return? Not just, I'm a great lawyer. You know, everybody says- I really care about my clients. I get good results. <laughs> um, you know, what can you do to stay on their radar? Okay, and for me, how can I help take some of that off your plate? So I think that's sort of the differentiator that I offer is, you know, I, I was telling one of my soon-to-be clients uh, today, I am not your coach. I'm not here to come in and have you fill out a form and cheer you on and tell you, okay, go out and you know, go to these events and meet the right people and know how to, you know, pick the right ones to follow up with and I'll help do that. So I will help, you know, strategize over, okay, you want to get in front of this company. Okay. What do we know about them? Let's research their portfolio of work. Who are they using? You know, why would you, why would they want to get in front of you or why would they let you get in front of them? Let's figure that out. Let's get that justification for why they would take your meeting. And I remember a, a friend of mine at uh, Home Depot years ago, I was having lunch with her and she said, one time in my career did a law firm come to me proactively and say, you know, we've looked at your business and what you're doing in this space and we think we have something better for you. And they had a whole presentation for us. She's like, we hired them on the spot. And so I, I don't think law firms do that enough. I don't think they're proactive enough. But also when they get buried, when people in this, because this space has a lot of what I call seller doers. You know, you've got to sell the service, but then you actually have to do the service. Well, I don't have to do the service. And so that's sort of where I, I consider myself a collaborator and not a coach. So Yeah, I've had people that have, um, you know, talked to me about working with my firm. And one of the things that they did was they gave me a list. And I was like, you need to have this many lunches in a week or in a month. You need to do this, that, and the other. And I'm like, I appreciate that. <laughs> thank you. And they'd be like, and we're going to follow up in 30 days, make sure you did it. And I'm like, I don't need you to be my mom and right. make me be accountable to you to do these things. Like, I know I need to do it. I don't need you to tell me I need to do it. But that was like what they were offering. And I'm like, eh, don't know about that. Yeah. And that's exactly it. I, 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 I like saying you need to do this. Well, okay. Why? What, what is that going to achieve? I remember I had lunch with a partner at a firm here in Atlanta years ago who told me, I go to lunch with a different person every day and I have no idea why. I just do it because I want to be out there. And I told him, I said, I go target the same 10 legit opportunities 10 times, 20 times, however many times it needs, because I know there's opportunity there. I know I've made headway and the results are going to be so huge, right? Like. Instead of, you know, I, I used to do this, this process with, with, the, with the attorneys I worked with Bonnerant where I would say, let's do A's, B's, C's, and D's, right? Like the A's, you have to stay on top of. B's, if you have time. C's, you know, and, and even then, they, it was hard for them to do that. Um, again, that's where I, there's a lot of talk in the legal field right now about non-lawyer or non-practicing sales forces. I think that is how things are going to go eventually, and it's okay, right? Like, the, 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 the lawyers need to be okay with somebody out there representing them without them there, and the 
sales people or business development people, whatever you want to call them, people don't like the word sales, um, they need to learn law. You need to teach people to go out and be able to, to, to confidently talk to potential clients, know how to solve their problems. Be credible. Yeah, no, like I'm yeah. not a good source for you. So you said ABCD, the way I've always kind of thought about it was, was the 80-20 rule or something similar to that, like 80% of your business comes from 20% of, well, you, you, know, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. And so I think it's it's understanding where that 20% is. Um, yeah, and let me, let me throw one other thing out there that, um, you know, this has only happened to me once, personally once in my career, um, but I've seen it happen for others. If you can see a trend coming and you carve out a niche in that space, all the other stuff we've talked about almost doesn't matter because people are gonna come find you. So years ago, I went with some of the, the lawyers um, and I had a friend who was new in the payments, in the FinTech space went had some lunches with them he gave us some buzzwords all that stuff well they sort of carved out a niche in the, the, the fintech world i know a couple lawyers like that well fintech in atlanta blew up um th so for me personally it was um I, I had a chance meeting back in 2011 with a lawyer from a firm in dc who told me about this thing that they were doing called corporate recoveries which was a way for large corporations to go out and recover money from through the legal department through legitimate cases contracts that are actually breached you know price fixing ip and he walked me through what they did i went back i researched this for seriously like a year saw that almost no firm in the country was doing it and helped build that practice at the firm and it was very very successful and it was a very it, it made pitching a lot easier to say hey i want to come talk to you about this thing that you're not doing right now and you probably should be doing it. We're going to get you money versus cost you money. And and I'm going to use the word chase. That's the wrong word. But it's almost chasing the type of work versus chasing the client or attracting the type of work. Um, in, the plaintiff's, in the plaintiff's world, um, is it niche or is it niche? What is it? What is uh, it? It's probably it? niche. But niche. No, I don't know. Everybody's looking for their niche or their niche, like what they're known for. Um, negligent security cases have been hot recently. Crime is up. The law is what it is. And so folks that have, you know, are identified with those kind of cases in the injury space doing really well. Um, and that's kind of what you're talking about, which is, you know, and I do those cases too. And so you identify like those are good cases and get in front of people that can hire you for them. So it applies across all different types of firms all different, and all different types of businesses. I mean, I'm sure the same principles would apply to whatever, you know, whatever widget you're selling. Right. Or and, 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 you know, I, I used to tell, I, I'm not used to, I still think that's true. You know, you can have a niche like that, niche, niche. Um, just pick one, let's go yeah. with it. Um, <laughs> you can be someone like Emmett Bondurant, who's just like a legend of the, the you know, legal, um, or you can sort of get lucky and have friends and family that just send you work, you know, like they're, I know of lawyers who, uh, uh, you know, their law school classmate became the GC of a big company. Well, that's just great. I mean, you know, that's, that's a fortunate thing. Um, outside of that, like I said, that, I looked at those things, though, and I was like, those are all things that lawyers can do, you know, without me. And so how can I create opportunities like this 
without them there or that wouldn't have happened otherwise. And that, that corporate recoveries and also I'd say the alternative fee work I did. Yeah. Led me to that. All right. Talk to me about Google, social media, the internet, (laughs) this just, we don't have enough time to go through all of it, but just like your idea of, you know, how people should be viewing that resource, um, good, bad, or indifferent. I mean, I think there's a lot of snake oil out there. Tons of snake oil. How, how do people differentiate the good and the bad? Uh, can you? I don't think you can right now. Um, I think there's too many fake profiles. Um, you don't know exactly where your ads are landing. Um, I've actually spent, this was another area I spent a lot of time researching was online ad fraud. And I had some conversations with some large companies and they'd say, oh, we spend $12 million a year on Facebook and Twitter, and we don't know what we're getting out of that. And so I think it's a very difficult space to to get ROI. Um, you know, people feel like they have to have a presence. Um, I would think LinkedIn is probably the best avenue for that. Um, you know, unless you're going for it all the way. Um, the, you know, in, in, again, in, in, in college, where I was taking advertising class, you can't do it in pieces. You know, that type of marketing only works if you're super consistent. Um, I don't know, and, and I haven't fully researched, if there is an, a, a, an example of a law firm or a solo practitioner who's had success going viral and that led to actual business, I'm not aware of it. I don't know if, you know, I mean, if these videos of people blowing up, you know, cars and stuff actually leads to business, you know, I mean, um, they get, hey, they, do people care about the business or do they care about how many likes they get and how many views exactly. they get? That's what they really care about. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so, again, I I don't have enough hours in the day to figure that out, right? Like to figure out the strategy around that, which is why I've sort of gravitated toward this very personal marketing and business development where, you know, it's it, it, it all has to make sense, you know? I'm just all about this like win, win, win. And so when you get into the sort of social media and electronic marketing, it's just, for me, it's very impersonal. And I personally haven't figured out a way to make it more authentic. Yeah, I struggle with it. Um, I think that your approach is one that's going to be consistently proven to be correct for the for the rest of time, right? You can't put a, a differentiator on relationships and the kind of stuff you talked about. People are just kind of like this whole internet and Google, it's just, people are just like fascinated by it because they know it's, there's so much out there and you can touch so many people. I get, I'm not kidding, Jeff. I get between three and five a day messages from somebody who's selling me a lead generation or selling me on purchasing something, some there that's going to do something for me. And I just delete, 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 delete. I mean, so this, this brings us full circle back to the, to, to, to why the, the relationship part is so important and the fact that lawyers are being asked to do this thoughtful, strategic relationship while they're doing all these other things. I think a lot of that stuff is appealing because it gives them a sense they're doing something, the phone might ring without them having to do anything else other than putting this ad out there or putting this post up and the phone's gonna ring. It just doesn't happen that often. And so I, I think I think there are, you know, and I would put the this, some of the super lawyer type things in that category too, where it's like, okay, it's fine, but it's, it's, it's not closing the deal. It can't be your whole strategy. Right, and, yeah. and it's just super, it's super difficult to track that, you know. 
people ask me because I do, and you've seen him. I do a couple videos a week. Um, I do a couple. I do this podcast every week. I do things that mm-hmm. keep myself out there. And people are like, well, so what's your ROI on that? And I'm like, I don't freaking know. I mean, I know that I'm still in business. I know that I get good cases. I know that, you know, people still want to hire me. And um, so I think it all works. I mean, I think I think the whole Brunswick stew of all of it, yes. you know, is, is but I can't focus just on one thing, and not the other. You're also super consistent about it, you know, and that's important. And 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 there is a personal touch to to those. And again, it's probably resonating most with people who already know oh, you. You know me, yeah. And there's like, and they feel like, you know, oh, I maybe I haven't talked to Josh in a while, but I feel like I talk to him all the time because I see him here. So I think that is effective. Um, I'm not great in that realm. I think you're really good at it. Um, I didn't pay to say that, but yeah, thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, it's exciting for you to start doing this because, I mean, I guess there's really any law firm out there that could use you, need you. So I know you don't, you didn't come on here to do a pitch, no. but I will say this. There's people like me um, that spin their wheels like, I really want to have somebody that can help me with this. I'm good at being a lawyer. I'm good at depositions. I'm good at trial. But I don't know the first thing about client development. So, again, not a pitch, but people that are listening, I think it's important that they hear, like, you're out there. So. Just, just give them a sense of like what you can do for these people, how you can be found, that kind of stuff. Um, well, uh, probably the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. I, I ha- again, I haven't done a ton of marketing or business development for myself, largely because I'm already quite busy, which is flattering. Um, I, and, and I don't just have law firm clients. I've got several uh, legal tech companies that I'm working for, all complimentary. Um, I recently signed a contract to do consulting for the Association of Corporate Counsel Georgia chapter, which is a, a, a group that I've worked with for a long time and I'm gonna help them. And so I'm not just doing business development consulting, I'm actually like, I, I consider myself a problem solver, a connector, somebody who knows this industry really, really well. Um, and so I wanna talk to people who are you know, in the space, who are open to new ideas, they're creative um, and just good people. And, you know, so I know that's not like a direct answer, but um, what I don't want to ever be seen as is, okay, we just hire you and you're just going to go get us work. Yeah, where are the cases? Let's, right? let's, let's see what our, our revenue goes up to. Because despite how much I think I'm, you know, liked, no one's hiring you because just for the sole fact that you know me. Right. But again, back to what I said, I'm a collaborator though. I will work with you on that. I will, we will create strategies. We'll create that justification. We'll figure out that reason that you should be in front of this client. And I'll add to that, you're a connector too. Yes. You're a connector. And that's, I appreciate that because um, I love connections, man. I love, I love when, when somebody can be brought together um, and they can do good for one another. And you're very good at seeing like, hey, this person and you or this, these two people, kind of like what you said in the beginning with golf. So. Yeah, I, I call it the win-win-win. If I can create relationships where both the people I just introduced to each other get a win out of knowing each other, I get a win. You get a win. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. All right. I want to transition to your other main passion. Is there anything we left out of, the, of this stuff? Or no, we, that was, that was did, good. Did we boil the ocean, as they say? Um, can't boil the ocean. Um, all right. Dude, you're a musician. You're a singer. Um, People that listen to this podcast know that my family is very into music. My dad was on here. My brother was on here. 
I did not get the music. You did listen to that. I did not get the music, Gene. It's it hurts me that I don't. But I, you're in bands. Talk to me. Just always. Have you always been into this stuff or what? No. Uh, when I was in the Air Force, uh, I, I mean, I always loved music, but I'd never played. Um, guy in my dorm had a broken acoustic guitar. I asked him if I had it fixed up, if I could buy it off him. He said, you can have it. And so I just started strumming away in the dorms as a 19-year-old moron in Fort Walton Beach, Florida, and started playing solo acoustic shows in coffee shops and bars in Florida. Then I moved to Atlanta, started a band in 2000. We played places like Smith's and Dark Horse. Uh, We're kind of like a Radiohead, but a little like early Radiohead, the more accessible Radiohead. and then uh, put my guitar and mic away in 2002 so that I could grow up, get a degree. I started working in the law firms. I got married, had, had my daughter Emerson. And uh, when she got to be about eight, she started seeing the guitars. Like we, they were basically decorations. They, they were you know, hung up on the walls. And I... Uh, got the bug and joined a cover band back in 2015 doing mostly 70s and 80s rock and alternative rock. We'd do Beatles and Stones and we did some Cure and uh, uh, you know, we'd do Rebel Yell by Billy Idol. And you're the singer, man. Yeah, so, uh, but so, so I did that for a few years and then I got picked up by a U2 tribute band and I was fake Bono for a few years. I, from, from what you've shared with me, <laughs> sound like real Bono. It, if, I was, if I was cruel, I'd make you sing a little yeah, something yeah. right now. <laughs> you could probably pull it off pretty well, but I'll, I'll post something with this. But yeah, so, so you were Bono. Yeah, for a few years I was Bono and that was the hardest thing I've ever done musically. Um, that man has a amazing voice and to sing those songs for two hours and the, the, the professionalism of the whole operation. Um, pandemic sort of derailed that. Um, coming out of the pandemic, a uh, couple of the guys from the, the old cover band, they found me about a year, a little over a year ago and said, hey, we want to do an all 80s, new wave, alternative, like college rock. So Band party it's, style, yeah, it's man. Gotta, Band party. It, it can't fall outside of that. So we do Violent Femmes and Duran Duran and NXS. And we've been playing Rock and Taco. I think our next Rock and Taco gig is on June 24th. Everybody come out and see him. I'll be there. Yes, it's, it's quite the scene. Um, and then I've also got a four-person... Uh, acoustic jam band it's a two me and another guy on acoustic guitar uh we both sing um we have a guy on percussion and a guy who plays keyboard and bass um we're playing eventide may 20th we do a lot of fish and almond brothers we do some chris stapleton so yeah i've got quite the eclectic array of uh so so do you hate you two now or do you love (laughs) that's a great question I got to hate them. I'm sure you did. I I had to listen to it so much during that time because you have to remember all the words and sort of the intonations. And so, yeah, I did get to a point. I'm, I'm, I'm almost back to where I can listen to you two again. <laughs> was there was there a song that you 
enjoyed performing or singing the most of theirs? So I, yes, it was with or without you. Mm-hmm. And we actually debuted that in my new band in the Walkman, uh, at our last show a couple weeks ago at house, we added that to the list. So I get to sing it again. I love singing that song. So this podcast gets like millions of listeners every week, <laughs> Bono probably being one of them. So uh, he should be flattered when he's listening to this that, you know, you in Atlanta, Georgia. But, you, I mean, you put the headphones on, you're listening very closely. You said the annotations, in, probably watching his YouTube videos to get his movements. Yeah, yeah. Um, so did that help you grow as a singer that you can now kind of learn what he was doing a little bit and use it? With how you're doing that? Hundred um, percent. I, you know, your voice is a, your vocal cords are a muscle, and just like any muscle, when you work them out, they're going to get stronger. And so, yeah, learning to do that performance um, certainly has helped with uh, being able to go out and do three hours of, you know, '80s songs. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean. Also, the movements, you know, like, like it helped, you know, and, and it's funny because people are like, oh, you're doing your Bono thing on that song. And I was like, okay. sorry, what do, you, what do you want from me? All right. So the sticking on the theme of favorite songs, what's a favorite song you perform now? Probably Let's Dance by David Bowie. Oh, well, David uh, Bowie. OK. I, it just it, and it's not even just the singing of the song. It's just that beat and just the vibe it puts in the room and the people dancing. And um, it it just feels so good to see just a place so live, you know? And so, yeah, that's, I look forward to that song every, every show. Fantastic, man. Well, um, you said the date, people got to go there. Um, I've had a good time today, man. We, yeah. we, you know, we, we cover what we needed to cover. Yeah. We did it. So Great. I've learned a bunch. I know people listening have learned a bunch. I think the big thing to take away is like, don't be afraid to do this kind of stuff. Um, get out of your comfort zone. Put yourself out there, and um, good things will happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it doesn't need to feel awkward or like skeevy, salesy. You know, there's a way to do this that's authentic, and you're actually helping people, and they're not going to be put off by you. You know, wanting to work with them. I love it. Well, thank you for spending this time with us. Um, I'll include all your information when cool. we post this. If you want to find you, they can reach out to you. And um, Appreciate you. All right. Thanks, John. All right, guys. Thank you all for listening. And uh, look out for, uh, go back and check out old episodes. And as always, till next time, keep chopping.